Welcome to the At A Total Loss podcast, where lost moms candidly talk about stillbirth, baby loss, grief, survival, and all things in between. I'm Catherine. My first child, Brody, died at full term and was stillborn in January of 2022. I literally thought the sadness was going to kill me. And while trying to survive, I reached out to lost moms to connect with others who knew how I felt. It was these conversations that saved me, and to this day, they still do. We discuss our babies, life with grief. We even laugh, a lot actually. It is my hope that hearing our stories will help you realize that you are not alone in any of this, and maybe even serve as a guide to finding light in the dark. So get comfortable and grab some tissues as we discuss this crazy life after baby death that has left us all at a total loss. Hello. Hiya, babe. How are we? Good. How are you? I'm good. You're like right down the street, aren't you? Are you? Where are you in Atlanta? In Marietta. Oh, sweet. Yeah, you are not far from me. I'm in Brookhaven. Okay, I've heard of it, but still not like quite familiar with where everything is here. Oh, real. Oh, so are you not? Are you not from Atlanta? No, we've been here three years, but two years. Like we moved here right before COVID. Oh. So really, like two of those years, we didn't really get to do anything. So. Oh my God. Yeah. You have, yeah. You're still a newbie here. I've been here 10 years and I still use my navigation everywhere I go. This place is kind of a shit show, but I kind of <laughs> like, it's starting to feel like home. Where did you move from? From Dallas, from the Dallas area. Oh, okay. Okay. So major shift from center of the country to the East coast. Now, do you still have family in Texas? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's. And so I really miss them. I actually like Georgia better in a lot of ways. Like it's not as hot as Texas. I don't know. Everybody complains about it being hot here. I'm like, have you been to Texas? Right. Like, it's <laughs> it's way <laughs> and, hot. And like, you know, having like Kennesaw mountain nearby is cool. And like all the outdoor stuff. And that's, that's really cool. So. I love to hear somebody talking positively about Atlanta because I, it gets such a bad rap. Like anybody outside of here is like, <laughs> isn't it super dangerous? I'm like, all cities have danger. Okay. It's not like <laughs> I'm looking for it. Uh, you know, it's so hot there. It's this, the airport sucks. I'm like, look, okay. Every city has their thing. All right. I'm from Florida. We had hurricanes slapping us in the face every single <laughs> right. chance they had. So I'm like, I'll take Atlanta. And honestly, this is like the most North I can go. Anything North from here gets way too cold for me. So yeah. <laughs> I'm good here, but yeah, we still haven't met up, which is silly. We need to do that. Um, yes. So are you home now from, from the NICU? Yeah, he got home, um, almost two weeks ago and, um, it's, it's been one of those situations where like, yeah, I'm thrust into newborn life. You, you know, you have a rainbow, obviously we're going to get into your story in just a second. <laughs> yeah. So we're doing good. And it's that thing where it's like, my mom says there's no clocks in Vegas because I don't know what time it is. I don't know if it's day or night and that's fine. You know, just getting used to having the newborn. So I'm super thankful that we are able to connect because we had to like reschedule like three times. I know <laughs> life, life, but yeah, we're home and he's doing really well. That's um, amazing. I'm so happy yeah. for you. Thank you. It's you, you think that your rainbow is going to be super easy and this one just wasn't, but he's here and that's all that matters. So, yes, <laughs> but thank you for doing this. I know you are a big voice in our space. So I want to go ahead and thank you for all of the light that you have shed on it and not just light as in the dark, but light and information and education, which I think is so important. So, and you have a podcast yourself, you have, um, you do the rainbow skirt. You do a lot of things for a lot of the ladies here and a lot of the parents here in this community. So I'm happy that we're going to be able to chat because 
you tell so many other stories. I know you do integrate Jasmine's story a lot in your posts, which is awesome, but I know you're always telling a lot of other people's stories. So I think it's important to for people to hear yours and for you to give as much detail as you'd like um, and, and, and bring whatever messages that you like to and hear it from your voice, which I think is really important for people to listen to. So thank you for doing this in your busy schedule. Um, and the way that I like to really kick off these conversations is I love what you're doing. And I think you're a beautiful source of light and hope, like I said, but I always like to set the stage for how we even got here because it's not easy to do this. Uh, you are diving into loss every single day and it's not easy to talk about, but it's something that you have chosen to do. And I think it's helping a lot of people. So will you take us back? Like, I know a little bit of your story, but I want to hear the details and how far back you'd want to go on yours and Jasmine's story to kind of set the stage. Yeah. So um, first of all, thank you for having me on here too. Um, it's always, you know, it, it's one of those things that it's, it's hard to talk about your story, mm -hmm. but at the same time, it's so nice to have the space to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. So um, I was diagnosed with PCOS when I was 16. So that made it, um, I didn't have regular periods, so that made it hard to get pregnant. So um, we kind of did some fertility treatment. Um, I was able to get pregnant with my son, had my son. Uh, after that, I had two early losses. I had a chemical pregnancy and I had a miscarriage. And then it was like three, two or three months after that miscarriage is when I got pregnant with Jasmine. And you know, we, I was just so excited when we, when we first saw the heartbeat, I was like, okay, we made it past those two early losses. We're, you know, we're good now. <laughs> and, um, it was at the, it was at the 13 week appointment that, um, they told us that it looked like she had what's called a congenital diaphragmatic hernia. And that is a hole in her diaphragm. So her diaphragm did not completely form and it allows the other organs to push up into her chest cavity. And then it compresses her lungs and like kind of pushes her heart over to the side. So her lungs can't fully develop. And our doctor told us we had basically a 50, 50 chance of her making it and said, um, you know, even if she does make it that she'll probably have a lot of health issues. We can't say exactly what those health issues would be. It's kind of different for everybody. So, you know, I, I'm a researcher. I go home, I like look everything up on the internet. Cause I really don't feel like she gave us very much information. I mean, that's basically what she told us, like come back in two weeks, we can confirm if this is what it is, but I'm pretty positive. This is what it is. Hmm. So I go home and I'm like, trying to research, like, is, can this be treated? Like, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, I joined some groups on Facebook. I found, um, uh, some, but there's actually some specialists um, that can treat CDH and have, um, good success treating it. So we made plans to go see one who's in Florida actually. And, um, we met with him over like the Christmas, um, of 20, it was 2017. And, um, we had like the fetal MRI. We had, um, we met with an MFM there. We met with him and we, you know, we had all sorts of testing done and it was here that, you know, he said, I think, she's got like a 95% chance of surviving. So, you know, we were obviously like, oh my gosh, like, you know, this is great news. And, you know, my doctor at home had never even told me there were specialists had never told me like really anything about this. Hmm. 
Um, as we were leaving our meeting with him, one of his nurses came and said, we need you to come back. There's been like some more information that popped up. So I like, okay, this seems kind of weird, you know? So we go back up there and he said that the, the fetal MRI had showed that there was, I think they called it irregular tissue in the lungs. Mm. So he said, I really encourage you to go back, get an amnio done because this doesn't look right. And it seems like there's something else going on. Mm-hmm. So we, we did go home, we got one and it came back with uh, mosaic trisomy 15, mm-hmm. which is extremely rare. They said most babies that have um, trisomy 15 don't make it that far. The, the pregnancies usually end in miscarriage. Mm-hmm. So they think the fact that it was the mosaic form, which means not all the cells were affected, just some of the cells were affected by mm-hmm. the extra copy is why she made it as far as she did. And, you know, I called the specialist and they're like, okay, we don't really know how this is going to change things. Um, We'll still treat you, but, you know, I can't guarantee that 95% survival rate anymore. Mm -hmm. I can't even really give you a, a number for the survival because we just don't know how this is going to affect her. So I'm like, okay, you know, I, I'm like, I'm, going to do whatever I need to do. I still had planned to relocate to Florida. Um, still just kept going on through my pregnancy. And then I was almost 32 weeks and I woke up one morning and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm not really feeling her move very much. And I went to my, uh, MFM appointment that day and they said she's developed high drops, mm-hmm. which is fluid. And, um, she had fluid in her head in around her lung and I think, um, around her heart. And I had, um, I had actually switched doctors. So this was a different doctor I was seeing. I mean, he, he was kind of a, just say it like it is type of doctor. So he's like, okay, your choice is you can try to induce now and spend a few minutes with her alive or every day that you wait, you increase the chances of her being stillborn. And that was basically like all he told me. And he's like, let me know if you need anything. And just like, like what? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You can't just. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it took, I I called our specialist again. He took like three days to call me back, which really upset me at the time. Like, I know he's busy, but like, I'm over here panicking. Like, what do I do? Do I come? Like, do I, you know, I didn't know what to do. In the end, he said, I'm sorry, we can't help you. There's nothing we can do for her. So, you know, I'm over here like, I'm not giving up, even though like I have this horrible news, like I just refuse to give up on her. We were actually going to go to another hospital in Houston to get a second opinion. But since I had not been feeling very much movement, they asked me to go into the hospital for a movement check. And so I did. And that um, is where we found out she no longer had a heartbeat. And so then I had to deliver her at 32 weeks. And that's kind of the gist of my story with her. So I've spoken to mothers who have gotten diagnosis that wasn't ideal, but the fact, and, and, and most of the time, the doctors do have numbers that are like, Oh, she has this percentage, or this is pretty much what's going to happen next, you know, um, or at least 
an idea of what could happen. The fact that they didn't really give you anything. Were you continuing through the pregnancy hopeful? Were you, or were you starting to come to terms with she was not going to make it? Where was your head at? I was continuing to stay hopeful. I was like, yeah. we're going to make it through this. You've made it this far with this diagnosis. Like, I honestly never thought that we were going to end up with her being stillborn. Mm. I thought we were going to end up with a baby that had medical needs. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I was prepared for that. Um, I was not prepared to lose her. I did not see that coming. Even even when he when he told us in that last week, I mean, that's when I started kind of thinking, oh, okay, like, you know, maybe she's not going to make it through this, but I still, I was still trying to be hopeful at that mm-hmm. point. Well, you weren't really given very clear information. Did, when you researched maybe after the fact, did you find that you, they could have sh- put a little bit more detail into what to expect? Or did you find that there really is not any concrete research and or understanding of what this actually all means? For the CDH, yes, I feel like they definitely could have given more information. Um, Although it does affect kids differently, there's still certain similarities. Like she would have had to have had surgery right after birth um, to fix the hernia, which the specialist told us the doctor I had didn't really go into all of that. She, from the beginning, she just kind of was like, "Mm," like acted like it was hopeless. Yeah. which is why I switched doctors. Cause I'm like, okay, maybe you feel that way, but I don't. And this is my daughter. So yeah, like, of course work with me here <laughs> warrior mother. Yeah. Hello. Do your job. Um, so and you now, okay. So Jasmine had two very, very rare situations happening. Yes. Right. And the, so, the CDH was probably caused by the mosaic trisomy 15. I see. Okay. So they were linked. Okay. So you had a, a chemical, you had a miscarriage, and then you had CDH happen, which I don't know the percentage or the, you said it's extremely rare. The mosaic is extremely rare. Where did that leave you as a researcher, like as a statistic now, like moving forward after that, were you just like, oh my God, this is so rare. All these things happen to me. Or were you like, this happens a lot to people. Where did you kind of finally come to terms with the reality of what actually went down with you and Jasmine? The early losses, you know, we, we kind of don't know what caused those. Um, it's probably PCOS related if I had to guess. Um, Can you but, say real quick what that is for anybody? Oh, yeah, polycystic might, ovarian yeah. syndrome. So, yeah, it, it basically for me meant no regular cycles. I didn't ovulate regularly. I had to do fertility treatment or um, I did acupuncture, things like that, just to have a chance of getting pregnant each month. But the hormonal imbalances can also lead to um, miscarriage and other health conditions. Thank you for, for doing because I think a lot of the mamas are wondering why things aren't happening for them and they're getting misdiagnosed. And I think that PCOS is a huge thing. I mean, if you're not ovulating guys, guess what? If your egg ain't dropping, you ain't getting pregnant. So, uh, you need to ask some questions and sometimes scans like that. So, and it's a big thing. People throw around that term a lot, but it really does affect fertility in a major, major way. Um, okay. So I hear from a lot of moms, who received life-limiting diagnosis that they were able to pre-grieve. And I think that's, let me let me clarify that though. That doesn't mean the death is any easier. That doesn't mean acceptance happens immediately. That doesn't mean your grief is lighter. It just means you have an opportunity to prepare for the death. Do you feel that you had to, that you 
prepared or were you still, you did say that you did not expect her to die. So this is redundant. My apologies, but you did not prepare for this death. You were blindsided almost by it. Yes, I did not prepare for that at all. I did not expect it at all. Yeah, the thing with CDH was that it wasn't a for sure she was going to die. Right. It was right. a she might. There's mm-hmm. a good chance, but there's also a good chance she won't. So I stuck to the right. she won't. You didn't even let yourself go. So then what did grief look like for you right after? It was just a big mess. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of, you know, um, I, I had to go home and, you know, tell my living son that, you know, his sister died How old and was he? he was three at the time. At the time. Okay. So he, he understood in a way, but not, not fully. Um, and yeah, I didn't have a lot of PTO. I didn't have a lot of maternity leave. So I had to go back to work pretty quickly. Um, part of me wanted to go back because I just wanted to feel normal again. Mm-hmm. And I think I pushed myself too quickly, you know, looking back now, but at the time it felt like what I needed to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've heard that before. I, I hear that a lot. I think the challenge with going back to work is the expectation of people's behaviors, the expectation of people's reactions, the expectation of people saying awful things or weird things or unintentionally hurtful things. But in the reality of it, it's a good distraction to get through the really, really challenging dark times. Because with time, obviously, you can start to learn how to carry this. But in the very beginning, you're like, I have no idea what's happening. I feel out of body. I don't understand grief, what it is. I have to have this now. What is this? So that's interesting that you said that you were, that it helped you or it worked for you to go back. What line of work were you in? I do accounting. So taxes and, yeah. and bookkeeping. Numbers, so very factually of, based, yeah. concrete answers. I wonder if that had anything to do with why it was easy to go back. I and mean, this is just something I'm coming up with now because numbers are numbers. You have them yeah. in front of you. One plus one, like two. you do it a certain way. And you do it away, yeah. and you get the result. You get the outcome. I don't that have to like interpret them or you know do anything like that. And you know, I didn't have to like talk to clients all day. Mm. You know that kind of thing. So it was it was easier. Are you still doing that now? Mm-hmm. Okay, different company though. I ended up um, my boss and I kind of mutually agreed that I needed to look for another job after my loss, which I think. I honestly think they started viewing me different Ugh. after I went through my loss. And I oh, think, no. I feel like they started looking for mistakes. So, and then blaming your loss for these mistakes. No, not, not full, not like saying that that's just the impression. I, I understand. So yeah, the- interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I gotta be honest. I didn't tell any of my clients because I'm, I'm a, I'm a contractor. I own my company. So I didn't tell any of them because of that. I was afraid that if I like missed an email or like missed a phone call that they were going to be like, she's grieving, she's incapable of work. And I think that is a terrible stigma when it comes to grief. Like, did we put that on ourselves or are we, it, I think that's actually a thing though. I think people mm-hmm. do think that they'll be like, oh, she's incapable of being productive or successful or efficient in her work because she's hurting too much. So then, okay. So what did that conversation, this was all in Dallas, obviously, because this was yes. five years ago, Jasmine was born, right? 2018. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, and then did you, did you 
expect this conversation? Did she kind of catch you off guard? Like what happened there? I, I kind of felt it coming. Um, and the problem was I worked for a really small company. There was like four of us and let me uh, side note, if you want to tell me stuff and want me to cut it out, I will just because we're just having a conversation. If you're like, Hey, cut that out. Cause you may listen. Just let me know. Oh, no, no, no. It's no problem. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, no. So I had a male boss and a male um, coworker. And then there was a female. The boss was a male? Yeah. Okay. Keep going. I don't know why that just changed everything. Okay. Keep going. And um, yeah, he kind of called me in there like, hey, you know, I think it's kind of time, but I'll give you time to look. And I was like, okay, like this is scary because I have to go out and find another job. Um, I actually ended up finding one fairly quickly. He was even surprised, like you've already found one. I'm like, apparently, and I got <laughs> paid more to do it. And um, yeah, I'm still with that company. So um, yeah, it, it was a blessing in disguise, kind of a scary thing at the moment, but right. turned out better. Did you think it was a blessing in disguise? How quickly did you think it was a blessing in disguise? I feel like we're always talking, you people like you and I, who have kind of come onto the other side of it, are always like, oh yeah, you know, this was, you know, at the end of all this, it's, I kind of like how it all turned out, but like, how did we, you get to that? Well, actually pretty quickly in this case, because when I started the job, I was like, wow, this environment is, is different, you know? Ah, And um, I felt more appreciated there. And I think a lot of people after loss, I'm so happy you feel appreciated. Like that's so massive, especially when you're kind of probably kicking your own ass for what happened to Jasmine and blaming yourself and feeling less than, you know, it's like, you just want to feel like in one department, you're kind of doing something quote unquote, right. You know? And And I I didn't tell them about my loss either right away. So it was like uh, a new environment where people didn't know what had happened. I eventually told people as I got to know people, but you know, right off the bat, it's like a clean slate. They don't know what happened. You know, it's just, that's huge. And I want people to know that you are not a bad mother. You are not neglecting your child or you're not denying their existence by just not sharing it yet with people. And I, that's so, that's okay. And I know people will probably kick themselves in the ass and feel super guilty for not like telling everybody in the room that their child passed or that they even existed. You have to do what's right for you in survival mode. And you have to go into a workplace that works for you. That's good for your mental health. And if you just needed to keep that, quiet because it's your personal business too. Not everybody needs to know about everything out the gate and you could still be a good parent without grief vomiting all over everybody. So I just want to take a minute to say that. So thank you for being transparent about that. You didn't send out a huge email like, Hey guys, I'm currently fresh out of a a stillbirth and I'm coming in hot. Yes. (laughs) Which people can do too. People do that. I know a lot of people notify their coworkers and say, Hey, I just suffered a loss on me coming in. And that's fine too. Absolutely. But if you decided not to announce it to everybody just yet, I think that's also totally fine. Yeah. I think you have to, like you said, do what works for you. There's no right or wrong way to do it. It's just whatever you feel like doing. And I think the wrong way to do it though, we do say there's no right or wrong. I think the wrong way is doing of doing it is to please or do it for uh, the everybody else. You need to do what's right for you. And if you like, don't feel like announcing it, just doing it because you think it's better for everybody else, you know, just try to inwardly figure out what is going to work best. Um, and so you still work for them remotely from Atlanta? Yes. Oh, cool. That's cool. Yeah. It's worked out for me pretty well. <laughs> offer me flexibility. So, um, oh, that's great. Tax season is the only time, like, you know, I have to really work 
kind of certain hours because it's tax season and it's busy season, but you do people's taxes. Oh my goodness. I have a CPA friend who's like, I don't do taxes. And I'm like, I I never really understood that until like, I really got on the phone with my, my new CPA. And I understand you guys work your asses off that season, (laughs) that period of time. It's a lot. Um, Okay. So then where did journey for Jasmine come in? So that's, I, so during the pregnancy, you know, since we found out about the diagnosis pretty early, um, I started writing during the pregnancy about everything that um, we were going through. So I would do updates on, on Jasmine, on the pregnancy, how I was feeling, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so then after our loss, I just kind of kept going with that. Mm-hmm. And um, I started writing for the pregnancy after loss support. I got pregnant with my rainbow daughter six months after. And so I wrote about that pregnancy um, with them. Mm-hmm. And then um, I just kind of kept it going from there and um, started the skirt project after that. And um, yeah, just kind of keep building on it, I guess. So walk me through the skirt project. How did that start? What did it, what is it? And um, how did that start? So I actually had a rainbow skirt that I wore from my maternity pictures with um, my rainbow daughter. And it's like a really, really big skirt. Where did and, you get that from? Um, it's from Chicaboo. It's like oh, a okay. website. Cute. Okay. Yeah. Um, I had somebody, when I was pregnant, I was looking for something kind of rainbow themed for the pictures. And somebody had said, Hey, like I saw somebody who used a skirt like this. And then they helped me like figure out where it was from. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I have to have this. So anyways, um, it was like a, maybe a year or two after. And I was like, I, you know, like I have this skirt, like what, you know, it's just sitting there. So I saw, um, I think it was actually pregnancy after loss support had posted that somebody else was kind of sending one around. Um, and so I had contacted them to see if I could, um, somehow get involved with them, but I never heard back from them. So I was like, I'll just start my own. There you go. And <laughs> I was like, I want to do this. And I started it thinking, what if nobody wants to like do it? What if nobody wants to share their story? And, um, yeah, now I'm at 200 and almost 285 stories. I think I think it's 87. I saw your post today. I think, yeah, maybe that's what it was. Yeah. Um, uh, that's close, awesome. Getting close to 300 and it's been to the UK. It's been to Australia, Peru. So it's the one Canada. skirt you mail. It's- it's more than one now. Okay. Okay. Started with one and the original one is still floating out there. It's actually in the UK right now. So did you, do you contact the person to send it to the next person? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So basically I haven't had them in my possession in a really long time. They just keep going from one person to the next person. And then you feature the photo on your page and their yeah, story. The, the picture and the story. And, you know, I let people just tell their story, how they want to tell it. So if they want to share just a few details, that's mm-hmm. fine. If they want to go into like the whole thing. And mm-hmm. I have so many who are like, I think I made it too long. I'm like, it's not too long. It's what you wanted to share. Like that's, I want you to share what you feel is important, what you want to share. It's your story. Mm-hmm. You get control over how you share it. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. And that's cool that you kind of connect them too. So like if someone has to ship it to someone else, do they get their name and everything and say, Hey, the, the skirt's yeah, on its way. I've learned that sometimes um, somebody will put like a card in it to the next person. I think somebody put an ornament in there for the next person. Sometimes they'll put like a little gift and, um, Oh my God, that's so cute. Know, I think it's pretty cool. Or just like a letter to the next person or um, not everybody does, but I've heard that some have, and I think that's pretty cool. Have, um, has 
starting that, did that help you in your grieving process in the beginning? It did, um, helping, you know, my whole goal was just to help other families going through this Mm -hmm. because even I was lucky. I had a lot of support from my family and friends, but you know, even despite that, like going through loss is really lonely and you just feel, you know, so isolated sometimes. And so I just didn't want other people to go through that. And I wanted other people to know that it's okay to talk about their babies and it's okay to share their stories. And so if I could be the platform to help them do that, then, you know, that's what I want to do. So you were pregnant six months after Jasmine was born. What was that pregnancy like for you? Oh, like so hard. I was so anxious. Like every day, like I was like, okay, this ultrasound's good. And then an hour later, I'm like, well, something must've happened to her. She hasn't moved in five minutes or (laughs) she hasn't done all this. And, um, you know, I was really hoping for another girl, Mm -hmm. um, because we lost a girl. We didn't have a living daughter. And, um, I felt really fortunate that she did turn out to be a girl. Um, I think I, I mean, I would have been okay having another boy, but I want to, I want to talk on that. Yeah. Because yes. I haven't really dove into this topic. If you're comfortable. Um, yes, absolutely. It's an important one. Yes. And I get questions a lot about it. Um, I also get a lot of mothers who are devastated when it's the opposite sex or gender of the baby that passed. Look, after loss, we are supposed to be grateful for everything. That's just like, everyone looks at be grateful for this. Be grateful for that. Be grateful you're pregnant again. Be grateful you're going to have another baby. Be just hope to get them here alive. Great. Obviously, that's what we're hoping for. However, gender disappointment is a massive thing in this community. So if you are like, I really, really want a girl, or I'll be devastated if it's a boy, or I'm so upset it's this or that, that is normal for us. So you really, really, really wanted another girl. I really, 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 really wanted another boy. And I honestly thought, and I don't know if you're the same, that the pregnancy would have been harder or, and, or things would have gotten harder if it wasn't the same sex. Did you feel that going into it? Yes. Yes. And I mean, you see people like who have three girls and they've lost their only boy or they have you know, three boys and they've lost their only girl. And mm-hmm. I think it's totally okay to be upset over that, over what you thought your life should be like that's versus what it, what is. it is now. Nailed it. And it it's doesn't gonna, mean yeah. you don't love them. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean you don't, you're not appreciative to have them. It just means life isn't what you thought it was going to be. And it kind of sucks. <laughs> that's the thing. And we have to be careful with that too, because for a second, I was like, I always saw myself having, being a boy mom. And then I lost my boy, my only child, my only son. And then I was like, well, I still see myself being a boy mom. This is the life I've already lost on the life with Brody. Like I really, really kind of still have this image in my head. And we do have to be careful with that because we always say babies don't replace babies, but somehow some subconsciously it feels like your brain is trying to have a redo or you're trying to paint that picture that you're losing out on, even though that picture is still going to be forever altered. So we do have to kind of dig and kind of look inward and be like, why do I want the same gender again? Now, some mamas want the opposite. They really don't want, they want to separate the two children as much as they possibly can. So they do want the opposite gender. So again, both are normal. Having an opinion or feeling about the gender, sometimes, you know, some of the moms are like, 
I don't care as long as it's living. No, actually it comes back to bite you in the ass. You actually do care a little bit. Yeah. And I went to my therapist and I was like, yo, because we didn't know Brody was a boy until delivery. That was Michael's choice. My husband's choice. I, I wanted to know, but we decided to wait. Now this one, we had the gender at the 10 week, 10 week blood thing. And Michael was like, I still want to wait till he gets here. And I was like, I don't, or till the baby gets here. And I was like, I, don't, I can't do that. And I talked to my therapist and she was like, you're going to have to process the gender, no matter what it is, no matter what, at some point. So either process it now and give yourself time to, to absorb it, unpack it, accept it, then connect with the baby, like use their name, buy things for them that are gender specific. If you want to, whatever it is that makes you feel good and to bond and to connect with the baby, because a lot of mamas do not connect with the rainbow baby and, or with the gender before it's born. And then, or you can do it 20 minutes after the baby's born because you're going to have to do it at some point. So we decided to find out uh, at the anatomy scan, it was kind of hard to miss. He was very, very proud of being a boy. So <laughs> we got it on the anatomy scan. Now that's the thing. Do a lot of mothers tell you that they are having trouble connecting to their rainbow? Do you hear this? Yes, a lot. Um, and I think it's out of fear. I mean, you're just afraid to get connected and then have something happen to another baby. You know, it's, it's scary. And it, you know, it's like, you're, you're so excited. You're so happy. And yet at the same time, you're so scared and so like afraid, you know, something is going to go wrong. And it just, the fear kind of takes over and keeps you from, from doing that, from bonding. It's so true. And I think it's an actual trauma response that you sometimes don't have control over for me personally, I did not have a problem connecting with the baby. Now connecting to the pregnancy is one thing because I, until I felt movement, I was like, this is not real. This is not happening. The first trimester I was like, well, I've already had a stillbirth one in four have a miscarriage. I'm next. Like that's that, you know, that's totally possible. So I didn't really connect with the pregnancy too much until I started to physically see it happening as far as my belly and movement. So that's normal. But once I felt new movement, I was hundred percent connected to this child. I was so ecstatic and so in love with them. Then, uh, which I don't know if that was a gender thing or not. I don't know. I'll unpack that another time. But then it was almost like there was this one scan we had where I was told not ideal news. It wasn't life altering or ending, but it was also one of those things where we're just going to monitor closely because there's little research. Okay, fuck. But so when that happened, my brain disconnected. It was like, warning, warning, this last time you got news like this, things went south. And I did disconnect for about 24 to 48 hours. And I was like, very aware that I was doing it. And when I say disconnect, that, ooh, excitement, ooh, that lovey, warm feeling, ooh, the belly, like, it wasn't that. It was, uh, I just need to get through this day because I don't know what's going to happen. And- I'm terrified, but I'm also like, well, shit, I can handle it again if I handled it the first time. So it's that weird process that your brain does, but don't give up on yourself because you come back, you come back to it. You will connect again. For a lot of moms, I've heard the 20 week mark is when they actually start to connect. I mean, maybe seeing the anatomy scan, but it's exactly what you said. It is a, it is a fear-based situation trauma response because whether you had birth trauma or not your baby dying is traumatic like you've got trauma sister you've got trauma doesn't matter how yes. what happened 
um, you're going to automatically respond. And then I feel that sometimes guilt happens. I don't know if you've heard this or heard or felt this. You start to feel happy. You start to get hopeful. You start to get excited about this new baby. And then you're like, oh my God, I feel horrible that yes, I'm getting excited about a new baby. Too. You did. What happened? It, it was just hard because we, you know, six months is a long time to wait to try again when you just lost a baby. But mm-hmm. at the same time, six months is not really that long. So it felt like soon, not but the- not soon, you know? So even though, I mean, we talked about it right away. Like we want another baby and we talked about it so quickly that I was like, oh man, like I felt horrible for this. Like I also, but normal. Then, you know, I had to remind myself, like, she's never going to be replaced. You're not replacing her, but you know, you have empty arms and we were supposed to have that baby. We were supposed to have that daughter and mm-hmm. we didn't get to bring her home. So, I mean, it's just and then, you know, with living kids, I have three living kids now mm-hmm. and with everything they do, it just reminds me of what I'm not doing with her. She would have been five this year. She would have been starting kindergarten. That's kind mm-hmm. of a really big milestone. So this year has hit me really hard mm-hmm. in that aspect. And that's, that's something I think is so important for you to say that you're not better. You're not, you're not over it. You're not you know, on the other side of grief, your grief has changed. It shifts. The layers change. The way that you carry it changes. I mean, the very beginning, it's raw, it's visceral, it's excruciating. You don't know which side is up. It evolves over a year after all the firsts are down in the book. Then you have your second year where everyone starts to forget and you're trying to figure out how the hell you're going to parent when it's not as fresh anymore. And everyone has all these different ways of doing this. And then you have new babies it's never going to go away. And that's a realization because you're always going to love and miss your child. So now you are experiencing new milestones. You're going to start experiencing different ones all the way to our, to the day you die. We all are. I mean, I'm already thinking about my friend's sons getting married, having the mother daughter dance, the mother son dance. I'm like, well, shit, not going to have that with Brody. I'm already there, you know? The difference is, though, is you have had more time, I feel like, or we have had or I have had more time to figure out how I cope, how I can get through those really tough moments. Do you find that's that's accurate? How do you feel about where your grief is at right now and watching these milestones happen? I mean, five is a huge age and kindergarten is so huge. What did you find the difference with this chunk of time was in in comparison to the very beginning? So the first year is obviously very hard because mm-hmm. it's, it's the first year of first mm-hmm. and it's like, okay. And then you, you kind of make it past that one year and you're like, okay, I made it past. Like now, now what, you know, and it's like, okay, this is, it's not like you're magically better after that one year mark. You just, like you said, you just deal with it differently and every year is hard, but some years are harder than others. And this one, like I said, is one of them and it's, I don't know. It's, it's just hard to explain, but you know, I, I guess I get the question a lot, which is, does it get better? Mm. And my answer to that is similar to what you said. It does not get better in that your grief goes away, mm-hmm. but it does get better in that not every day is like a bad grief day. Every day mm-hmm. you have a lot of good days and then you have your bad days. So the grief is always there even on your good days, it's kind of like hanging out in the background, ready to like pop up at any moment to surprise you. 
but, um, yeah, not every day is horrible. It's just some days hit really hard. Like her Mm -hmm. birthday hits really hard. I find the days leading up to her birthday harder than her actual birthday. Mm -hmm. And then once I get past it, I'm like, Oh, like I made it, you know, like I made it another year, but then I know in August, um, school's going to start here for us in next week. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, that's going to be a hard one seeing everybody's back to school kindergarten posts. Do you have friends that have children the same age as Jasmine? I do none, none here in Georgia, but, um, yeah, like I'll, I'll see it online and I, I still participate in, um, my baby month group from when she was born or when she was due. So all of those people have five-year-olds that will be starting kindergarten this year. So I might have to like not go there for a little bit. <laughs> yep. Oh, there's going to be a lot of muting going on on social. I feel like, and, and that's totally fine to do that. If you have to guard your heart in these situations, cause it's, it's not easy. It's, it's going to be, it's a life sentence for all of us. Mm-hmm. I think it's important. And I really appreciate you being so open about it because someone like you seemingly looks like you nailed it. You got it down. You're good. You're happy. You're in that place that we all want to be in or, you know, but that's not it. That's just not it at all. I mean, shit, I had a meltdown 45 minutes ago. Like it's, it's just, it's here and it's present. And I think that's why connecting with each other helps so much because non-loss. And I've said this so many times, I think my, one of my biggest topics of conversation with people in the DMS is, you know, why is my mother-in-law acting like an asshole? You know, it's kind of like this, we're now dealing in year two, three, four, five, 15, 20, where they're forgotten uh, or they're not acknowledged. So we have to be the ones to keep acknowledging that. So if you are going to bring up the fact that she should be starting kindergarten, you're her mother, of course. Everyone else is probably gonna be like, whoa, five years, get over it. Or, oh, whoa, why is this hitting her so hard? She's had five years to think about it. it we have to educate and then we have to lower expectations and then we have to kind of control our reactions to these things. You know, it's up to us and that's what sucks. Like we are the ones that are gonna have to drive this bus through the, through the lost life. And I'm so thankful that somebody like you, who has a lot of followers, who is kind of a voice for a lot of people that don't have a voice in this, or that uh, you're a person who normalizes these things, because one thing, like you said, in loss, you feel isolated, you feel like you're uh, an alien, you don't know if this is normal or not. So for you to admit, it ain't gone, it's still here. Grief is not going anywhere, I think sets the expectation for a lot of people. So that on that note, how did you do this? Like, I know no one says there's no manual. I, I, I honestly, I'm going to call bullshit because I truly think there are things that you can do that will assist you in this. And also giving people a heads up to what to expect helps them navigate it because you're going, how the birthday's coming up. What the hell am I supposed to do? You know, you giving these little tips and tricks. So in the very beginning of grief, how did you start to get to a place where you could function with grief and joy coexisting? Walk me through how you did this. So I think one of the best things that was ever said to me was one of the nurses at the hospital. And she said before we left that whatever you're feeling right now is the right way to be feeling. So there's no wrong way to feel. If you're mad, if you're sad, even if you're happy, because, hey, we're allowed to still be happy again, which I think a lot of us forget. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, that has always stuck with me even five years later. So I went, I remember going home from the hospital that day and 
I was like, I need to watch something funny. I just want to laugh. I just want to be normal. Mm-hmm. And so we turned on like America's Funniest Home Videos. And I was like, it feels good to laugh until they did a whole segment of like children doing stuff. And it was like all girls. And I'm of course, like, really? Of <laughs> so that kind of ruined that moment. But um, yeah, I've just kind of taken it one day at a time. And I've tried to, I mean, I spent a lot of time, honestly, trying to push the grief away and not think about it and not deal with it. And then as time has gone on, I've learned that that's a really bad idea because then it just comes and explodes in this big Say that thing. again, again, <laughs> you push it to the side, it shows its face eventually. Yeah. So I feel like, all right, you can't do that anymore. <laughs> so yeah, by the time we got to like year two and three, I'm like, all right, stop, stop trying to hide it. Let's just deal with it. So then I would just prepare myself for those days. Like these days are going to suck. So just get up, cry when you need to cry because it like on her birthday, I'm going to cry. I don't know when it hits in the morning. Sometimes it hits in the evening. Sometimes I just know it's coming and I'm like, all right, you just got to let yourself do it. Let yourself get it out so that we can move on. Not like move on from the loss, but like from the moment. So I just think that that's, that's the most important thing is don't feel guilty for any way that you're feeling. You're allowed to be mad. You're allowed to be sad. You're allowed to be jealous. You're allowed to, you know, be annoyed. You can be anything. It's all normal. It's all, it's all the right thing. And mm-hmm. I think just giving yourself a lot of grace and knowing that you just have to learn to live with the grief. It's not going away. You can't make it go away. So we just have to shape our life around it. Mm, amen, sister. I, I think it's also awesome for people when they reach out to you to to even ask questions about does it get better or what can I do to help this? That's like being an incredible parent. I I think because you could dig yourself a hole and you could get into it and you could stay in the dark and you can, you know, you won't, it won't give you any sort of strength or tools or any way to parent your child. You're just going to suffer and you're going to stay in that dark place and you're going to identify with the death instead of celebrating the life, which is a cheesy line, but it's what we have to kind of try to do. Um, So even reaching out to you and asking for tips, asking for tricks, asking for how to navigate this makes you an incredible parent, an incredible mother to just try to seek that light. So what is, and you mentioned earlier, you got this certain question a lot. What is the number one question that you think that you get from new, new mothers fresh out of loss? I think there's, there's two that I get a lot. And one is, um, does it get better? Yeah. Or it's it's kind of a combination of, does it get better? How do I live after this? Yes. Yes. How do I do this? Yeah. Yeah. And then I also get a lot of questions on what can I do for their birthday or for their due date? Mm-hmm. Those are the two like big ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you listening are wondering if it's weird to ask those questions, nope, pretty much nothing we do is weird. No, I mean, and there's, I've never gotten a question where I'm like, oh my God, why are you asking me that? Like, you know, cause I have some people who are like, I'm sorry if that's too personal or I'm sorry. I'm like, look, I'll talk about anything. I don't care. I mean, mm-hmm. periods trying to conceive, like, yeah. I mean, all of it. I don't care if you can, you can ask me anything. So true. About it. <laughs> uh, did I just tell that chick about my hysteroscopy and what went down? Yes, I did. Don't know you don't care. Um, right. Yeah. Say it's, there's nothing off, off limits. And then sometimes I will get, you know, I'm sorry if this, this question upset you and I'm like, mm-hmm. mm, no, we're out here doing this. This is what we do. I'll answer. I'll answer anything at any time, even in the happiest moment, I'll answer the darkest questions. That's just what we put ourselves out there to do. 
Right. I, I will say though, a lot of questions, I, I, it's not a huge question, but I do get it a lot is, is it hard to talk about their death and talk about loss every day? So what has it been like for you starting this? Have you had days where you're like, I got to take a step back? Have you found that even on days where you wanted to step back, you leaned into it and it made it better? Talk to me about how that's been for you. Yes. Um, I definitely have to take breaks sometimes, um, especially with the skirt you know, project, because sometimes like I tend to get people tend to send stories in like all at the same time Mm. for some reason. So I'll get like six in at one time. And then I have to like read through all of them. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is like, cause every single one makes me sad, you know? And so sometimes I just have to like step back and like, I can't look at these right now. Like I need to go do something else, Um, especially ones that are similar to mine Mm. or any that involve infant loss because I have a baby at home. So those, even though I haven't been through infant loss, like those hit me really hard right now. Cause they scare me quite honestly. Do. So, yes. um, and I've had like several of those lately. So yeah, sometimes I'm like, I just can't, I can't do this right now. <laughs> like I need to. Yeah. I'm, I'm so happy, not happy to hear you say that. What is the damn word? Um, just a little bit, like I connect with you on that because during my pregnancy after loss, the stories were really, really hard to read, not only because I was trying to stay in a good place in my brain, because when, if I let it go, I was going to spiral. Like if I let the floodgates go and you got the pregnancy hormones and you're terrified and you're just living from ultrasound, you get it, you get it. Yes. But also I was getting a lot of other reasons why this baby could die. I was getting a lot of different things that could go wrong. And it was like, holy shit. I didn't even know about that or heard about this. But I did it because I wanted to try to parent Brody, but I did have to take a lot of breaks. But then after he got here and did his NICU stint, I am having such a hard time with infant death and NICU loss. Like, holy crap. I, It's just shifted and it's changed. And that's just another testament to how lost life just changes so much based on how life goes, the phases. And now navigating it with a newborn is like, Not that I'm not grateful. Please don't at me. It's just, holy moly, it hits harder, right? It does. I mean, and it's scary to know every little thing that can go wrong. And that's, that's one of the bad things about being, you know, a big part of the lost community is like, like you said, we all, we learn all these things that we didn't even know could go wrong. And it's like, oh my God, what if that happens to my baby? And, you know, obviously like, I don't want to be like, no, I'm not telling any infant loss stories because they have, you know, they're an important story that need to be shared. Too. 100%. I just personally have a really hard time with them because of where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Do you find that you were like schooling your doctors at some point in your re- subsequent pregnancies? Like you kind of knew a lot more and you were like, could it be this? And they're like, what? And then they investigated that. Like, what did that look like? Well, I had to correct them several times that my stillbirth <laughs> was not a miscarriage. Oh, What? So this is a new doctor because we moved to Georgia. So all my other pregnancies were in Texas. My last pregnancy, um, I had my pot of gold um, last December. Oh, wait, here. Was she at Northside? No, we were at uh, Kennestone. Oh, okay. You Um, had to correct this person? Yes. So, I mean, so I was going over my history and they're like, so you've had three miscarriages. I was like, well, I had two miscarriages and a stillbirth because she was 32 weeks old baby that I held in my arms. Like, I don't medical definition is not as like, look at the, look at every, that's just lazy. Yeah. And you know, it was, it was just, 
different. I mean, it was just a new doctor. And so I had to explain everything all over again. And, you know, sometimes I feel like they didn't give information. I had to ask questions. Like, so this was the first pregnancy. I actually tested uh, GBS positive uh. and I hadn't in the other ones. And I'm like, Oh my God, like I'm freaking out. Like, what does this mean? Cause you know, I've heard horror stories about that too. Um, and you know, they just said, okay, well, you just have to have antibiotics at, at birth and you know, all that I ended up long story there, but I ended up only getting one of the two, um, doses of antibiotics before labor because she was coming so fast that they couldn't, um, they didn't have time for the second one. So I had a whole like freak out in the hospital about it. Cause she only got the one and uh. she was fine. But you know, in my head, I'm like, baby die of this, you know, like I'm scared. Yes. And yes. I just feel like when I tested positive for that, it was just like noted in my chart. And like, they didn't really talk to me about what it meant. They acted like it was no big deal. I'm like, but this is a big deal to me because I've never tested positive for this. And they're so casual. I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And you know, I, when I, when I first went there for um, like my blood draw, I'm like, can we check my progesterone? Can we, you know, and they're like, it's fine. You don't need supplements. And I'm like, are you sure? Like, can I have them anyways? And they, they don't, they wouldn't give them to me, but they did let me see, um, an MFM. They gave me that referral. Good. Yeah. They doctors are so chill about so many things. And that's why I'm always like, yeah, we know too much, but you got to follow your gut. You don't, if you feel you want something investigated, you have got to ask for it. And they're going to respond with, eh, you don't need it. Push anyway. Does it matter? Because at the end of the day, if something does go wrong, you want to eliminate that feeling of regret that you didn't say anything, but you also want to catch something. I mean, we could, we could go crazy. I could be like, I need testing every single time for all these different things. We just have to trust our gut, not our mind, not our heart, our gut. If you feel something is up and you want somebody to look into something, ask them to. I literally had my OB my six-week appointment, my checkup was last week. He said, I truly feel your insane monitoring that you demanded is why your baby is here. I demanded to be on Lovenox. They told me I don't need to. I said, nope, doing it. Like I need my blood thinners because why? What's the risk if I'm not on it? Okay. I want this many ultrasounds. I want this, this, and this. And they were always rolling their eyes like, look, part of this is PTS. So just know that. I demanded that last weekend before my water broke, I demanded to be seen because something was off. And they kept telling me, it's just a second pregnancy. You still have PTS. So just keep that in mind. Nope, something was wrong. So I, they met well and they were wonderful. They're wonderful doctors, but I just followed my gut. And then that's the only thing I can tell somebody in these subsequent pregnancies. That's it. That's it. I mean, the regret I don't, you said you're a researcher after Brody the research was endless realizing how common this stuff is, you know, if yeah. you really start to put it together, were you always a researcher or did this just make you dive in and want to know more? I always have been Yeah, like, that's just were me. You, were you that friend when your friend was like, Oh my God, I think he has another girlfriend. You're like, I need a name and I need a street. <laughs> I need a car model and that's it. And you found her in like two seconds. Is that what it was? Yeah. Pretty much like that. <laughs> Or like, I know this cute I just, guy, I I'll find know. him. Like, I somehow find research comforting, even oh, though sometimes it really scares you more, <laughs> but really, okay. So you're looking for, you know, 
peer evaluations or, or research projects or papers done and you're trying to, you put the information together. Is that, is that what yeah, I just want? Okay. And then like, just, you know, re- like real life experience. So like mm. hearing stories from act, like for me during the CDH hearing actual people who had kids with CDH that went to this hospital, you know, and had this experience mm. and I'm like, okay, like I know that's how I, I learned that there were specialists because just doing a quick, like Google search, you can't find that as easily. And that's, yeah, the doctor should have handed you and said, Hey, this is some information, but just because they don't do that doesn't mean it's not out there. And that's awesome that you went and found it. Yeah. So I encourage anybody who's, you know, dealing with that, like, look, there's gotta be, you know, a Facebook group, at least for like every, every type of condition pretty much out there. So like find the other parents, they're going to be your best resource. And you're a huge resource. So I want to put, tell, can you tell everybody where to find you? Um, your Instagram handles, your podcasts. Like, I want to make sure that they use you as a resource, especially if you've said anything in this episode that resonates with not even just the medical stuff, but also the grief and the coping. What, where can everyone find you? So the website is journeyforjasmine.com. The podcast is Finding Hope After Loss. And it shares, um, again, it shares stories from other lost families and other, it, it's pretty much all issues surrounding infertility and loss. Um, that's on Apple and Spotify. Um, and then my, uh, Instagram, my Facebook, pretty much all the social media is just journey for Jasmine. And I'm going to link everything in the description so they can just click, especially if I think Spotify actually does link them. So you can go and uh, find her immediately, send her a DM. We don't hate it. We love it. We're here. We do this unpaid for a reason. <laughs> yeah. Maybe slow to respond, but I will respond because some days are, are hard because I Absolutely. do work full time. So don't get impatient. I will respond. <laughs> Absolutely. I know that's one thing everyone needs to realize that we do have day jobs. Um, okay. Well, thank you so much, girl, for doing this. It was actually really nice to finally connect with you too yes. and, and face to face. And we're just on the street from each other. So hopefully we can get together soon. Definitely. And talk shit about this life and uh, have some laughs. <laughs> hey, I would love that. <laughs> yeah, whenever you feel like uh, getting out again after. <laughs> she's on her way. She's coming. She's almost back. I'm making a comeback tour. Um, but again, thank you for everything you do for our community. And you're such a huge resource and a light. And um, I can't wait for this to come out. Hoping to get this out next week. But um, yeah, just thank you for taking time and doing this, girl. Yeah, thank you. You're so welcome. All right, we'll chat soon. Okay. Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye. That's all for this episode of the At A Total Loss podcast. If you'd like to help other lost moms benefit from our stories, please share, rate, and comment wherever you are listening. Thank you for being the strong mama that you are. And remember, when things have you at a total loss, we're here to help you find the light in the darkness. Take care, lost moms.